Marion Phoenix, and you're watching and listening to Launch Left, an intentional space for art and activism, a podcast, a label, a launch pad for left of center artists. Today's guest, Resistance Revival Chorus. Please welcome them to the show. Hi, Resistance Revival Chorus, and welcome to Launch Left. Hi. Thank you so much for having Hi. us. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> yeah, I'd love for you all to introduce yourselves. And then let's have a conversation. Hi, everyone. My name is Mia Pace. I'm originally from Clinton, Maryland, um, but I now live in New York City. And I am a singer, songwriter, musician, activist. Um, I'm Nyama Sophia Sandy. I am a member of the Resistance Revival Chorus, also a curator and producer um, and writer. Just actually have my hands in quite a lot of different elements of art. So let's just call myself a multidisciplinary artist. Thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for this invitation. And I am Shruti Ganguly and I am a filmmaker. I am from India by way of the Middle East, Oman, and have lived in America for many years. And I'm currently conveniently stranded in Norway. It's also called When You Marry a Norwegian, This Is How They Trick You. And I'm also a very proud co-founder of the Resistance Revival Chorus. So thank you so much for having us. Hi, my name is Abby Dobson. I'm a sonic conceptual performing artist and composer. I am a member of the Resistance Revival Chorus. And I'm really excited to be here and to be having this conversation with uh, my sisters in song and with all of you. Wonderful. Well, again, just want to thank you all for taking the time today to join me and talk about art and activism and share a little bit of your story and resistance revival chorus. Um, uh, one thing I just want to bring up that I really found moving and important about what you do is that originally it was a healing salve for you all to kind of a recovery healing experience to sing together after the women's march and, and a bit of a, um, the intensity of that time and, and feeling, you know, like you needed to come together and heal. Um, so that is really powerful because where it led you is obviously somewhere very different than singing together in your living room um, or in a friend's living room. So I'm just curious how each of you found your way to the resistance revival course. Um, so I um, am good friends with Jenny Suss, one of the other founders and the current manager of the chorus. And um, uh, I met, Jenny, just uh, through music, um, she would come to this event. I would sing with uh, Reverend Vince Anderson and the Love Choir, and um, she was a big fan of that band. So um, I met her there, and we just became really good friends over the years. And um, uh, when uh, Jenny and Shruti and Sarah Sophie formed, and the rest, Nanalini and everyone uh, formed the chorus, uh, they all sort of reached out to different people and Jenny reached out to me um and said hey you know would you uh would you like to come and and sing some songs uh with a bunch of wonderful women in Sarah Sophie's living room and just maybe hang out and have some wine I was like I definitely want to do that um this was I think 2017 I was in a place where I was touring heavily um, with a band called Chick Chick Chick, which I'm still in now. Um, and there were men everywhere, just boys. The whole uh, industry is full of boys and um, promoters and, uh, you know, 
I was in a place where I was craving to be around other women who were doing uh, wonderful things. And I was craving mentorship. I was craving community. I was just craving that energy. Uh, I'm from a family with a lot of women. Uh, I'm one of four girls uh, of three sisters. So um, I was really craving that. So that came right on time for me. And little did I know uh, what this would all turn into. Uh, but I really just walked into it looking for some community and a good uh, musical hang. <laughs> and real quick, how did music find you originally? Well, I started singing in church uh, when I was young. Um, I joined my children's choir when I was maybe 12. Wow. Um, and so I was not what you would call a soloist or anything like that. I really just did it because I loved music and I loved singing. Um, I loved being around singing. I loved choir rehearsal. So I was in choirs, in church choirs, um, my entire childhood, uh, basically. Um, but my first sort of uh, move into uh, pursuing it, because uh, I was a dancer, and a performer my whole life. Um, but eventually I came to New York uh, to pursue music. And um, I just started singing in the clubs, you know, and singing blues music in the clubs. And uh, that's really about it. I'm Nyama again. Um, how did I come to the chorus? That was a question. So I actually knew both Jenny and Abana Kumson Davis, who uh, Abana is our musical director and often when you see uh, the chorus at some of the sort of like larger things that we do, Amina is usually the one that leads us. So I've known them both through the work that I do and through like, you know, Amina actually I know because we have all of these poet friends in common. And so we, we know each other through that. And then Ginny, I know through music and art. Um, so it's actually both of those things are such a marriage of who I am and what I do in the world. And of course the chorus is so much focused on activating all of that toward activism, toward raising our voices to address the issues of our time. Um, and as a curator, a lot of the projects that I take on and the projects that I build are in support of that and really examining those issues and, and the histories that inform so much of, you know, how we are here, so to speak, in this moment. Um, um, honestly, music is the first thing that I knew that I could do, which is like literally four years old. There's this, I remember, I have this very specific memory of like making up a song on a tape recorder that we had borrowed from someone and I played it back and I thought, oh, like me, I did that, you know? Um, but in a way, so much of what I've been doing up to that point, I joined the chorus in fall of 2018. So much of what I had been doing was not about music at that point. Um, so to have it come back in the way that it has has been really powerful for me, particularly in this moment, because I'm coming back to my voice in a certain way. Um, I'll take it back almost, I'd say like just over four years ago. And at the time I was, asked to be on a committee for the Obama administration under Valerie Jarrett's office. And it was a lot of really incredible um, people in film and TV. And frankly, I was really the smallest fry in that room. And they were like, and I was also the only non-American in that group of about 30 people. And they were like, you guys are making things in entertainment 
and media that people watch and pay attention to. And the way that real change can happen is through what we put out in our entertainment. And so these have been the different issues that have mattered to this administration from climate change and women and girls' rights, gun reform, prison reform, immigration, and so many things that frankly really make you a decent human being. And those are all the things that are important. And when you have you know, this opportunity to really use the way you make things and what you make and who you make it with to really lead to that change, that had a big influence on me. And I remember, right, you know, and this was, it felt like such a rosy bubble that we were in at the time, you know, just over four years ago. And then the election happened and it just felt like the energy, the life, the joy, which is completely sucked out. And it was not just reflective of what was happening in the U.S. It was something that was happening around the world. And I remember just sitting down with Sarah, Sophie and Paola. And, you know, we know each other through film or media. And I was just like, I really need to do something. I don't know what to do. What can we do? What what does one do? Especially after the Women's March. And um, and they were like, you know, we're, you know, what do you about, what do you think about starting a chorus? And I was like, I, yeah, let's. That sounds great. What? What? Let's talk about that. And but it was just this amazing moment where Sarah Sophie was talking about how her and Nalini one of our other co-founders, I think during the Women's March, were walking and then they just started singing. And it was really in that that they found so much joy. And then as so many of my co-founders who worked very closely on the Women's March, who worked with Harry Belafonte, essentially his philosophy was like, when the movement is strong, the music is strong. And that's what we need to do. And that's what we need to build on. And so... Essentially, I'll never forget when we sat in Sarah Sophie's uh, kitchen and started to brainstorm this idea of what it looked like. And I mean, my first job in New York was at Def Jam at the record label, but it was a few years after 9-11 and I couldn't get my visa sponsored, which is a whole other story. But it, you know, and to be an artist in America who's international uh, and to be on visas is really, you know, you know, just starting out, it's a really difficult thing. And Abby also works with immigration law and you know it so well. Um, and how I, in a funny way, how I came to music, even though I'm very happy behind the camera, I really don't like attention. I'm usually the person, if I'm on stage, I like to be as far behind as possible. Um, but as a kid, um, I studied classical Indian music and I studied piano and I studied classical Indian dance. Um, but it was really kind of, you know, still drilled into my head that uh, the arts were meant to be a hobby, but I always really loved them. Uh, and in a funny way, I mean, I find the resistance revival chorus has become my ultimate, my ultimate healer, not just in terms of the music, but this incredible sisterhood and how it just feeds all of us. And, Shruti, my name, actually means the truth from sound. And so in a way, I feel like by being a part of the chorus, I feel like it's been this full circle of just so much fulfillment and really this idea of what we're doing really does spread joy, not really, I mean, to other people, but also amongst ourselves. And we also have to hold each other and protect each other in this process because, you know, we are 
at war every day. I just want to just say, hmm, hmm, after that. I mean, truth through music. That's amazing. Um, I have I wrote that down, Shruti, because uh, that's just incredible. Um, I came to the chorus uh, through Facebook. I was, um, you know, just, you know, I'm not really a social media person, but, you know, in my periodic scrolling down um, Facebook, I saw a post from Ginny um, saying, here's this chorus and I'm, you know, who would you recommend for the chorus? Anybody want to recommend yourself or recommend someone else for the chorus? Um, And I had known Ginny, um, not as well as um, some of the other women in the chorus, but had seen her around from other groups that I've been in, like Burnt Sugar. And also Ginny and I went to the same alma mater, but at different times. Um, And so I put my name down. And um, when I was scrolling through, I saw that a couple other people put my name down. And I was like, okay, that's nice. Um, And then Ginny reached out to me about uh, coming to that first meeting at Sarah Sophie's house. And um, that was an incredible moment just to be around so many different women um, interested in lifting their voices in song. At that time, I myself was feeling like I wanted to get back to music. Um, I'd been sort of away from music and um, focusing on other things and had been feeling an itch to start a chorus myself um, of some sort. And so when the opportunity came to join the Resistance Revival Chorus, I jumped at it. Um, it was something that I really needed at the time um, and and still today. And I'm really happy that I'm a part of the chorus for a number of reasons. I believe in the power of women lifting their voices together. Um, there's a lot of change that we can do, cultural, um, political. As far as how I come to music, um, I... I've been in this, I don't, I, wanna, I don't wanna say battle with music, but music has been pulling at me for my entire life. Um, and I've at different times uh, turned my back uh, or um, you know, ran uh, arms open to it. Um, and you know, me, music keeps choosing me and, and so I keep choosing it. Um, I can't imagine my life really without it for long periods of time. It's a part of how I define myself. And the music that most inspires me is music that has a purpose. Um, When I look through all the artists that are my favorite artists over time, it's always artists who have a message. Sweet Honey in the Rock, Tracy Chapman, Nina Simone, and others that really influenced me as a singer and a songwriter growing up. And even though um, I felt that I needed to, when I started doing music, to compete on a commercial basis, um, found myself in spaces that didn't really honor all of who I am as a, as a black woman. Um, the older I get, it's the more than I choose to do music that reflects who I am and what my point of view is and what matters to me. Beautiful. Wow. Thank you all for sharing that. And, and interestingly enough, you all shared uh, about Sarah Sophie Flicker, who's someone that I've known for over a decade, and I was one of the founding members in uh, the Citizens Band. What it evolved into was really art and activism on a multi-platform stage. So we had trapeze and dance and all kinds of um, art, but and we would do this just elaborate, you know, makeup, hair, set design. 
and it was always political activism. So the songs were from the 30s and 20s, but they're still so relevant, you know, and listen to your work. I feel like it's a beautiful evolution of what we were doing in a much more needed way now. The last question I always ask, and in many ways, just having you on the show, it's been answered. What has always empowered you and inspired you to activate your art through activism? Uh, well, I'm going to say that um, I've always been an activist in one form or another. Um, you know, to me, an activist is someone who just sees something wrong and speaks up. And um, um, I have always been an entertainer or performer in some capacity ever since I was very young. And when I learned the power of that growing up, when I learned that um, I could open my mouth and people would listen, or if I would stand on stage and people would look at me because I had a microphone in my hand and sparkly clothes on or whatever, I decided, well, it's important that I use this power, this platform that I have to do something um, powerful and something positive um, for the people in front of me and for the eyes watching and the ears listening. So um, I've always used music and speaking as a, a form of activism. Um, my songwriting has always been you know, storytelling, uh, mostly storytelling uh, women's stories. And currently I'm in a group called Vote Common Good, which is a grassroots organization um, that was started by a bunch of um, evangelical uh, pastors and um, some Catholic priests, pastors, priests and uh, Christian pastors and um uh, men and women from around the country who came together to say um, the Republican Party right now, Donald Trump uh, does not represent Christianity and um, they are hijacking what Christianity is. So I um, felt that it was important for me to speak up and say um, that, uh, you know, you don't get to call this Christianity. You don't get to call this um you don't get to hijack Christianity and um, with all of the things that this administration is doing, um, you don't get to call this Christianity. So I have been touring the country pre-COVID. <laughs> I've been touring the country um, singing uh, with my friend Reverend Vince Anderson and um, Doug Paget and um, a host of other men and women um, specifically targeting Christian people who are um, the majority of the voters for <laughs> uh, evangelical Christians voted 80% for Donald Trump. And so we are targeting uh, those masses of people to try and um, change their hearts and minds. And also with the Resistance Revival Chorus, um, that gave me a platform to, um, to be able to write music and um, speak the things on my heart to people who needed some joy in these times and um, people who may uh, need a change of paradigm, you know, just like people who, who may, who may not have heard other people's stories or um, met a woman who looks like me, um, who has a story like mine or like the rest of the women in the chorus. So um, yeah, my, my passion has always been to, um, to use music and to use my voice and my platform 
to bring some sort of change? So, I mean, so much of, I think what was happening at the time that I entered the chorus, so this is like two years into the current administration at that time, um, and we had sort of seen the full range of like terror, essentially. And so much of what I had been doing, apart from music, was about thinking about what is the way forward and what is the way through and how do we actually allow ourselves to walk in someone else's shoes and, and expand our perspectives in a way that really is healing and is really um, transformative and, and allows us the grace to transform ourselves. Um, and so much of what I've been doing is, is about that in different capacities. Um, so at the time, I think that I had joined the course, I was working on a show in New Haven at a space called Art Space, um, very creatively titled, which is hilarious. But um, so the show was called In Plain Sight. So sight as in vision and sight as in place. And it was very much thinking about just how disenfranchised so many different groups of people are. And it's yet still the same groups of people who have benefited from that. So specifically looking at the history of New England in that case and thinking about, of, of course, indigenous people whose lands were taken from them, thinking about, you know, this notion of black diaspora, like it doesn't exist if you don't have the people who were in New England actually funding people being stolen from their land, both here and um, across, you know, the West African areas, uh, Sierra Leone, Ghana, et cetera, into the Caribbean. And actually many people don't know this, but there were actually um, Pequot people who were stolen from New England area and brought to, I believe, the Bahamas at that time during many of the wars that were taking place. And some of them actually still have been able to retain some of the cultural elements. But this is just what I'm always thinking about. This is like the brain space that I live in. Um, and so really being able to call that out melodically. And it's, as Mia just said, it's a way to really present these issues to people who don't have to think about them. They just don't have to. Um, and they also don't necessarily have an entry point. So I, I like to believe that through this music, we are presenting an entry point for people to start engaging with these ideas. Because I mean, like, I just don't know how we get out of this moment if we don't do that holistically together as a community. Um, and, and then what am I doing right now to <laughs> directly address that as well? Um, sadly, I'm starting to think about how much I miss singing with the chorus. I'm hoping that there can be an opportunity to do something. But um, I have, I guess for the last almost two months now, we just started a new collective called The Blacksmiths. So it's a bunch of people who are artists themselves, musicians themselves, curators, programmers across the country. A lot of people here in New York um, we have galvanized social distance public events that are acting as like protests and rallies and concerts at the same time. It's been really a gift because it's been so gorgeous. Like so much of the stuff that we've done has come together super fast. And it's also just been in response to a lot of what's happening. Um, so we did an event called Juneteenth Jubilee here in Harlem. So we had like three different stages set up. We had um, a beautiful land acknowledgement that took place at the top of um, Central Park at 110th Street and Malcolm X. And then we were able to set up like a mobile stage in front of the Apollo. It was just this like beautiful confluence of, of energy and intention. And it was just really lovely. We also just did an event at Washington Square Park 
And then that was interesting because there were all of these other protests that came through it at the same time. And I've made it a point that we should like literally share the space with them. And actually we had them come on our stage and use the microphone that we were able to set up and all of that. So it was just really just a wonderful way to think about the fact that so many of us are taking to the streets ultimately for the same purpose. So why can't we move as such? Why can't we do that in community intentionally? So that's what I'm doing right now. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So how did um, I come into this space of uh, activism? I mean, I'll, I'll start by saying I grew up in a country where I guess I learned that that there was no freedom of speech in the hard way where I grew up in this beautiful picturesque place and in a bubble in a way. And then when I was 13 and one of my best friends was murdered and it didn't make the paper, I realized that there was something wrong and freedom of speech is a very, very big luxury to really not a lot of countries when you think of it in the grand scheme of things. And when you realize how hard it is to speak out and for journalists to write truth that represent other people, those are, those are things to really start to clock and pay attention to. That being said, I would say it was a really interesting experience growing up um, in the Middle East, in Oman, where, you know, my father is Hindu, my mother's Christian. I grew up in a Muslim country. And when I went to high school in the Himalayas in India and uh, went to my school that had a relationship with the Dalai Lama. I wanted to be Buddhist. And so I think having this like kind of multicultural, you know, multi-faith connection and then coming to the States for college, it was just always about really figuring out how you connect with people irrespective of anyone's backgrounds, anyone's faith, anyone's situation. And I will really give my mother a lot of credit to that for that because when we were growing up in Oman, she was starting, you know, a center for special education. She focused on migrant worker rights and still does. And she worked with a lot of education initiatives and also uh, women's rights. And so I think that was just a part of our makeup growing up is that we had to volunteer and we had to show up. And so I think that is just, I guess, in my DNA. But I remember when I came to the U.S. Uh, for undergrad and uh I went to Northwestern for undergrad and, um, you know, I was starting like, you know, a students for free Tibet and <laughs> trying to do it as much as I could. And then my first job in New York when it was at Def Jam and I remember it was in 2004 and the tsunami had hit in Asia and about a quarter million people died. And I felt like no one I worked with knew, cared or talked about it. I couldn't believe that. And I would say like, that was something so shocking because then we were just obviously talking about the next single dropping. And I was like, wow, a quarter million people died. Like, what are we doing? And, and, you know, and I started this like fundraising initiative to, you know, to do something. And I would say that my efforts in this space have been, based as have been reactions to what has been happening in the world and you um you find a way and you find your friends and you find the people you connect with to activate and to work with because it is you know you can't really do all of these initiatives alone you can't you, you know and you just have to 
find your collective. And I know that uh, after the election, you know, a group of us found each other and now, you know, a family of us exist. And this chorus, actually, while we are, you know, the, the main group, you know, has been started in New York, the fact is, uh, you know, there are resistance revival choruses around the world that have come together. And, you know, I think in this current moment, when we look at COVID and we realize and are really paying attention to the, the vast discrepancies in the world that exists when it comes to the economy and society and culture and race. And then the movement for Black Lives, we have to activate in this moment to really change and uh, to not go backwards. And I mean, you know, John Lewis's like incredible tribute yesterday and like his words in the New York Times, I mean, you, you just like weep when you read that. And that is a legacy I think all of us just have to continue. And, and the work of so many people, like the chorus is not doing something new, we're just existing in a time that's now. And we also have to acknowledge that so many people have done this work before and we are just continuing it in, a, you know, building off and celebrating other people's incredible work. But we still have a lot of work to do. So we just can't stop. But I'm still very happy being behind the camera and making those choices in my, my filmmaking space, which really is, I think, the most work I can do. Beautiful. I think that question really opens up a lot. Um, for me, my form of activism is, um, is one that takes many forms. Um, I think, you know, someone alluded to earlier, um, you know, a lot of times people think of singers in particular as really one dimensional, um, you know, show up and sing in a space. Um, but even the, the power of, of, of the human voice, the melody, the, the lyrics that someone sings, uh, and the power to, to change culture, to shift um, hearts and minds um, is not enough. And so I think um, for me, the form of activism that I'm trying to embody is, is to marrying the use of my voice, the, the actual physical use of my voice um, in spaces, in community uh, that can reach someone else uh, in the sound of, you know, within, within feet of feats of, you know, within a distance of myself. Um, and also to do work um, on behalf of the community in other ways. So for me, activism is about community care, um, which is also about self-care. They're all interrelated. Um, and you can't really separate them from me. And so um, in addition to singing in the chorus and and lifting up um, ideas that matter to me, particularly um, the empowerment, the livelihood, the humanity of of women and girls, specifically black women and girls and uh, women and girls of color, um, I work with the National Organization for Women. Um, I'm on the board of that organization, the New York City chapter. Um, I also uh, work with the African American Policy Forum that was headed, uh, that is headed by Kimberly Crenshaw, who is known for creating uh, the term, coining the term intersectionality. And um, in that organization, um, I've had the amazing opportunity to to art direct um, in spaces uh, to uplift 
the voices of and the names of women and girls, black women and girls who've been killed by police officers. Um, I wrote a song called Say Her Name, which um, my uh, work with that organization as the artist in residence helped me sort of get it out there, get the, get the, the names out there um, initially. And I'm so, so fortunate and so, so happy that the Resistance Revival Chorus, um, the album that we're making, that, uh, that we've made, that drops October 16th, uh, 2020, um, <laughs> that, that song will be on um, RRC's first album. Um, I'm fortunate that the chorus has um, not thought it robbery uh, to um, have me sing that song on a number of occasions at our resistance revival nights, um, at protests, um, and again, having on the album. Um, it's timely because of what's happening now, but it's timely because it's been happening for hundreds of years. Um, and so for me, my activism takes the form of lifting my voice, singing, putting my body in spaces where I can sing and where I can um, hopefully encourage people to have empathy for others who don't look like themselves, um, particularly having empathy for Black women and girls. Um, as I use my intellect, which I do have as a singer, uh, let's be clear, <laughs> um, and um, my sweat equity to work with organizations to try to make the world a better place in different, in different ways. Thinking about the blacksmiths really quick, one of the things, so yes, we do these public events, but um, when we're looking at how black artists are being positioned in the academy, in institutions, at presenting institutions as well, when I say institutions here, I mean museums, galleries, et cetera, it's, it's a lot of issues, and I'm sure, Abby, you've probably experienced some of these things where people are trying to, like, pigeonhole you. They're giving you an opportunity. I'm using opportunity in air quotes here, but it's not done in a way that is really, truly respectful of the tradition that the work is being made, and it's not being respectful of the artists themselves. So what we've actually begun to do is develop a pledge for institutions, both presenting institutions and uh, museums. And I was just like, no, 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 no. Music and art schools have to be in that too, because so much of what is happening begins there. I can't tell you how many times I've done studio visits with like MFA students at different institutions I'm not there's so many instances where I'm being met with stories of just people not having critical appropriate critical dialogues being made with their work and so how are we even like reasonably calling ourselves educators I also work at Pratt Institute I'm a visiting assistant professor there as well just thinking about how are we creating appropriate spaces how are we supporting artists growth like how can you say that you have successfully taught a master's student if they don't feel like you were able to ever engage with their work. There's literally cases where I've heard people tell me that people came for crits and told them that they could not make certain work. Like, no, this is not an appropriate action at all. So very much thinking about that. We're developing this pledge um, and actually outlining steps that institutions can take. Um, of course, also encouraging them to uh, address the specific concerns that have actually in many cases already been made. So yes, in June, we had like this whole trove of institutions putting out these statements about Black Lives Mattering. Show us, 
show us in your programming, show us in your exhibitions. And so this is really meant to kind of be a supporting guide for them to do so. It's exciting. I'm hoping that we'll be done soon and we can roll it out. That was my last thing. Thank you. Thank you all so much for sharing. It was a privilege to share this hour with you. And um, we're very happy to be showing our watchers and listeners Rich Man's House, the video. So please enjoy it. Thank you again to Resistance Revival Chorus. All you strong, powerful, beautiful women, appreciate the time we spent. Have a great day. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Rain. Well, I went down to the rich man's house and I took back what he stole from me. Took it back. Took back my dignity. Took it back. Took back my humanity. Well, I went down to the rich man's house and I took back what he stole from me. Took it back.
Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields.